Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's the year 1976. America was going bicentennial crazy. Two guys named Steve were starting a computer company in their garage, and Rocky was just hitting theaters. But south of all that, just over the U.S.-Mexican border, American Ivan Stewart was driving in the Baja 1000 by himself. A first in the race's history. Though Stewart had driven the Ensenada 300 by himself, this would be a little different. The Baja 1000 is an arduous 1,000-mile drive through the remote and desolate Baja Peninsula. For many, it wasn't a question of when you finished, but if you'd finish at all. The route was treacherous, and so was the weather. Stewart would face flash floods and fog, scorching heat and freezing cold, rocks and boulders and unpredictable herds of animals. If Stewart broke down or got injured, the journey might cost him his life. But it didn't. Instead, the brave driver from Oklahoma won the 1976 Baja 1000. Stewart finished the Ensenada Loop at 12 hours and 17 minutes, smashing the record for four-wheelers by two hours, a record that would go unbroken, by the way, for two decades. Stewart quickly became a fan favorite in the sport as he continued to solo race and win even more titles. How did a publicity stunt organized by a Hollywood stuntman grow into such a prestigious race? What has kept drawing racers back to the Baja 1000 for the last 55 years? And what makes the Baja 1000 one of the most treacherous races in the world? Today on Pass Gas, it's the story of the Baja 1000. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about cars, it's not about ports. Wow, um, fun little story. Um, Stuart actually hit me up. Ivan Stewart hit me up in 1976. No way. Did he text you? Yeah, he texted me. Uh, it was early or whatever. 
and I was, he was like, hey, man, you want to run the Baja 1000 with me? Yeah. And I was like, nah. So that's why he oh, ran it alone. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's crazy that he signed up, you know, assuming that you would be mm-hmm. a co-driver. And mm-hmm. I may have been like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do the Baja yeah. together, dude. Yeah. We'll be so close after. <laughs> well, for years you were like, we should do the Baja 1000 yeah. together. And, uh-huh. and you're oh, maybe next year, maybe next year. Yeah, and then one year he was like, this is the year. You're going to do it this yeah. year. I'm signing up. And I was like, yeah, definitely. But you were also doing darts at the same time, yeah, so you weren't really darts. paying attention. That's back when I was a big dart guy. Yeah. And, yeah, he hit me up. He was like, hey, I signed us up. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, welcome back to Past Gas, everybody. My name is Nolan Sykes. Remembering to introduce the host this week. Uh, across from me is Joe Weber. What's up, man? Hey, what's up? And we got James Pumphrey. Hello, audience. Guys, how we doing this week? Joe and I are killing it. Yeah, we ate elk it. for dinner last night. I cool. feel like so like an unknown mystical power yeah, has that's like embodied a, my an animal we don't stomach. see very often here in Southern Max California. Max protein. Yeah. yeah, super lean, super lean. <laughs> it was like ahi tuna. How, did you prepare you know, it, Joe? Did you cook this? No, no, no. I wish. Oh. Uh, it was it was medium rare. It came mm. with bacon vinaigrette mm. and and uh, caper berries, which I had never had before. They were intense. They are very intense. Interesting. Wow. It's like the uh, nature's atomic warhead. <laughs> Whoa! Mm-hmm. Sounds delicious. Yeah. Today we're talking about papas and beer. We're not <laughs> talking about elk. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good uh, good transition. I last night I was extremely tired. I don't know what it was. This week we've been shooting high low. We're in like week five of this. Uh, the The first episode came out on the sixteenth for you viewers. Um, today's the the eighteenth. We're really uh, down the the home stretch here. But I was exhausted after uh, doing some some aerodynamic mods. Not Listen, the most. I'm barely working on this car. Yeah, I'm, and. Uh, Every time we do this show, like by the end, I'm like, wow, mechanics. That's a hard job. For real. And yeah. some people do it for like 30 years. So if you're a mechanic or you do labor for a living and you're <laughs> listening to us, man, shouts out to you. Big round of applause. Thank you for doing the hard stuff. So little soft boys like me don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Job was telling me that lifelong mechanics who are constantly torquing and using their wrist and hands a lot grow like an extra little bone in their fingers what? to handle all the pressure wow. and torque wow sounds sounds questionable impossible. <laughs> um, yeah. maybe we, we'll look into that sounds but like he's just trying is, to justify his extra bone <laughs> maybe yeah um i was exhausted got home turned on the shower but was like I'm too tired to stand up. <laughs> Flipped it over into bath mode. Okay. Took a bath. You took an accidental I, bath. I an took an impromptu bath. Yeah. How was it? It was lovely. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that in like 25 years at least. Did you get bubbles in it? But you know what? Chloe had an extra bath bomb Whoa. laying around. Yeah. Hot Wheels themed. Oh, <laughs> it was perfect. That's exactly. <laughs> this is the perfect bath for you. It was great. It's a perfect it had night. a toy car in the middle. That's <laughs> it was, it's not a Hot Wheel, but it was like a little plastic car yeah. thing. And I was like, this is lovely. I felt amazing. Dude, you I got laid, a prize. I <laughs> for my hard work. That's right. Got a prize. Dude, I, I got to do that. It's like when you get a massage, you're like, oh, I should do this more often. Mm-hmm. And then you don't get one for like 
17 yeah, years yeah. afterwards. Um, same thing with baths, man. I'm, I'm all in. You're a bath guy now. Big time bath guy That's here. Cool. My new place yeah. has a big bathtub. I, I need a big bathtub. I was yeah. like... <laughs> This listeners yeah. can't see, but I'm like this in my bathtub. It's pretty small, but my legs are like up. He's water's barely covering the unmentionable. He looks like um, a shrimp right now. I was it was great. Uh big shout out to bath <laughs> to bath <laughs> in the bath industry. So yeah. if you're a bath company and you want to sponsor high level, yeah, man. Yeah, oh. hit us up, Kohler. Hit us up yeah. at gas <laughs> at Donut Media. What color is the water? Well, before the bath bomb, it was like a nice gray. Cause just because I came from Hilo, I was all dirty oh. with crap. <laughs> I forget that baths are for actually bathing. Yeah, I was, and then Chloe's like, Ugh. and then <laughs> that's when she threw the the bath bomb in there. Yeah, like so. awesome, awesome. Well, I bet I bet that Ivan uh, Stewart enjoyed a nice bath. I think he did. Hotel room. I think he did. Let's hear more about that Let's race. Let's do it. The Baja 1000 is one of the longest-running and most prestigious off-road desert races in the entire world. But long before it was known as the Baja 1000, the event started out as a publicity stunt to try and sell motorcycles in America. Let's head back to the early 1960s. Motorcycles were selling like hotcakes, and the hottest hotcake in America was the Harley-Davidson. Ouch! Too hot! (laughs) Right behind Harleys were British motorcycle companies like Triumph, thanks to their popular TR6 Desert Sled. Then, far behind them, was a little company called Honda, who was only exporting about 4% of the motorcycles they produced. Why was the world sleeping on Honda motorcycles? Well, at this time, being made in Japan was not seen as a selling point. Instead, to global consumers, the label is often seen as inexpensive, imitative, or disposable. They didn't have a good reputation. Yeah, sort of what yeah. Korea is going through right now. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, they're going through an. I wouldn't. I don't know if you can call it an industrial revolution, but they are making some really great stuff. But they still carry the stigma of cheap. Thus, the motorcycling world viewed Honda motorcycles with a skeptical eye. Two sales managers at the fledgling American Honda Motor Company, Walt Fulton and Jack McCormick we're left wondering how to get America excited about its new CL72 Scramblers. Uh, Also, if you want to know more about Honda, we uh, did a whole episode on Suichiro Honda and the creation of the company. Definitely check that out. Um, Suichiro Honda is one of the coolest guys in history. He made whiskey. He quit. He quit quit to go make whiskey. He made whiskey. That and more in our Honda episode. Enter motorcycle racer and Hollywood stuntman Bud Ekins. You may not know him by name, but if you've ever seen a Steve McQueen movie where an outrageously dangerous stunt was performed on a motorcycle, then you've probably seen Bud in action. Like at the end of The Great Escape, where Steve McQueen tries to make the titular Great Escape by jumping his motorcycle over a barbed wire fence, that was Bud Ekins. That I've heard about this jump before as like the pinnacle of motorcycle stunts in movies, and I watched it, and it's like, all right. It's like a... Six foot high fence. Yeah, I mean, but you, nowadays we're jaded because guys literally do front flips on. Yeah, mm-hmm. people do triple back flips on yeah. motorbikes. Yeah, the I mean, motorcycles were so much heavier and their suspension was so much shittier. Yeah, yeah, and people's bones were so much more broken. Yeah, they didn't drink a lot of milk. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, they drank too much milk. Too much milk, but that's all they drank. <laughs> so when Fulton and McCormick approached Bud for help, he shared an outlandish idea to band together to form an off-road motorcycle race 1,000 miles down the length of the Baja Peninsula in Mexico 
from Tijuana all the way to La Paz. Bud thought this would be a good way to demonstrate just how reliable Honda's new CL72 scramblers were. So, using Fulton's Cessna, the Honda team flew over the Baja Peninsula to plan their route. My girlfriend uh, has a Cessna. She drove. She flew a Cessna in Baja. Whoa! Though the area was made mostly of remote, desolate desert, Bud Ekins was a stunt driver, and nothing could stop him once he put his mind to something, except for one little thing sponsorship entanglements you see bud ran a triumph dealership and triumph saw bud's participation in a honda publicity stunt as a little conflict of interest so bud brought in two other riders to do the trek his younger brother dave ekins and a young socal racer and co-owner of honda of hollywood named bill robertson jr i almost bought a motorcycle from honda of hollywood wow at midnight on March 22, 1962, Dave Ekins and Bill Robertson Jr. sent a time-stamped telegram from the telegraph station in Tijuana to mark the beginning of their ride. They would do the same thing when they reached La Paz to authenticate their time and location and create objective proof of how long their journey took. Now, since nobody had ever attempted something like this before, there was no record to break, just a record to make. Ooh, no pressure. No. And the question wasn't when they'd finish, but if they would. Hmm. Right from the start, there were many elements working against them. First of all, this was years before the Mexican Federal Highway. The Carretera Federal 1 was completed, so most of their journey took place on dirt roads, burrow trails, and sand washes, a.k.a. not ideal course terrain. Second of all, they were using 30-year-old auto maps to navigate, and when fog started to roll in off the Pacific Ocean at night, the two often ended up going around in circles until they recognized their own tracks. Oh, no. Oops. Another very pressing issue was fuel. A fuel tank of a CL-72 held less than three gallons, and after leaving Ensenada just 65 miles into their ride, there wasn't another real gas station until the outskirts of La Paz, nearly 1,000 miles away. Whoa. The riders compensated by strapping a one-gallon plastic can inside a cargo bag <laughs> mounted on top of the motorcycle's fuel tank. Dang. But that extra gallon of fuel wasn't going to last long, so they had to do a little extra planning. The Honda team used Walt Fulton's Cessna to carry the fuel and supplies the riders would need along the way, piloted by none other than Walt Fulton himself, with some assistance from Bill Robertson Sr., a.k.a. Bill Robertson Jr.'s dad. That's how those names work. <laughs> the plane would land about every 80 miles at designated landing areas to keep the scramblers going. Can you imagine, like, flying a Cessna and just looking for, like, a semi-flat spot flat. to land? Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine flying an airplane 80 miles. <laughs> <laughs> now, this whole race was happening because Honda wanted to show off the Scrambler CL-72 in a publicity stunt. So there needed to be some publicity, right? To accomplish this, Honda sent out a second Cessna that carried members of the press. <laughs> That's fun. Among them was Joe Parkhurst, reporter and founder of the newly created Cycle World. Yeah, I've heard of that magazine. Uh, magazines were like the smartphones. <laughs> Parkhurst documented the momentous moment that Dave Ekins finally pulled into the La Paz Telegraph Station after his 952 mile journey down the peninsula. He wrote, 
The average automobile usually makes the trip in seven to nine days, though the record is held by a Jeep piloted by a foolhardy soul who made it in just under four days. The intrepid Honda riders cut the time to a mere 39 hours and 56 minutes, including some short periods of rest, nine stops for fuel, and approximately six hours of being completely lost. 30, I mean, 40 hours is way shorter than I thought the first run was going to be. Yeah. Dude, can you imagine being on an old motorcycle in the sand for 40 hours? Like, no, that's wild. Like, dude, I bet they needed a bath. Yeah, <laughs> I bet they did. I bet, I bet they their did. quads I were they got rocking, yeah. dude. I bet they made what some gray water man. for sure. Oh, for sure. Like, you don't know where you're going. I mean, you kind of, you have a decent idea of where you're going you, and what you want to do. There's like a plane flying around with all your fuel on it. That's like a cool Still, little like, adventure, man. In the, what the seventies? This is sixty-two. Like, did they have they they had walkie-talkies back then? Maybe, but maybe not. Because communication itself would just be so hard. Yeah, they had walkie-talkies back then. Big ones. Yeah, yeah. like CV radios. Yeah, they used to have to have a guy carry it, yeah. more, and then you crank right. it. <laughs> yeah, crank it. Okay. Man, imagine being excited for war, and then they're like, "You got radio duty, and you got to run behind." Yeah, people. you can't kill any people. Yeah, you Bummer. kill them with your Bummer. words. You're also gonna be shot at while you're cranking up your phone. Yeah, but you get to talk to the Sarge a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, what's up? <laughs> yeah, you're always next to the Sarge. That's yeah. sick. <laughs> Not everyone gets to talk to the Sarge. That's true. That's true. Will the you guys start calling me Sarge? No. so lame we'll be right back with more of this story but first a word from our sponsors angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well i absolutely love this because you know if you own a home it can be really hard to maintain it's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small well Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The publicity stunt was a huge success. Between the years 1962 and 1968, Honda sold 89,000 CL72 and 77 Scramblers in America, cementing Honda as a trusted name in motorcycles. And furthermore, a world record had been set for the Baja ride for the very first time, inspiring several record-breaking attempts to be made over the years. And the attempts eventually got so popular that it wasn't just a motorcycle thing anymore. Bruce Myers was a California kid who loved what many Californian kids loved. Christmas. Beaches and automobiles. Uh, In 1964, he combined his hot rod and fiberglass boat building experiences into one vehicle, Old Red, the world's first dune buggy. Bruce saw what the record-setting run had done for Honda in America, and Bruce was confident Old Red could break their record. Which he did. Nice. Departing from Tijuana at 10 p.m. on April 19th, 1967, Bruce and his old buddy Ted Mangles arrived in La Paz 34 hours and 45 minutes later, breaking the previous record by more than five hours, 300 minutes. It would be the. It would be great to be the second person to run this because yeah, you know the first person was just like, okay, don't break down, and then second time you're like, okay, can be done. Yeah, I'm gonna smash this record. Yeah. Journalists from Road and Track magazine came along to verify the record-breaking run. This not only launched the Myers-Manx beach buggy, but the publicity it generated helped inspire the first official Mexican 1000 later that year. The first official race down the Baja Peninsula would be organized by a man named Ed Perlman. Ed was a lot of things, all right? He was a Marine, a florist, and most importantly to our story, Ed was an off-road racer. Back when he was stationed in Guam during World War II, he would organize Jeep races to help keep morale up for his fellow troops. My grandpa was stationed in Guam. Uh, Sam Brown was born in Guam. Whoa. Uh, Sam Brown, for the whitest kids you know, born in Guam. (laughs) Put that in your hat. (laughs) (laughs) Add that to your fact bag. (laughs) When he returned home, Ed continued racing, and in 1966, he challenged a few of his friends to race from Tijuana to La Paz, driving two Toyota Land Cruisers and a Myers-Manx buggy. The teams were Ed and Dick Kepik, Claude Dozier. Oh, I like that name. Yeah. Dozier. Dude, if your last name was Dozier, that's what we would call you. Oh, yeah. 1,000%. We would barely know your first name. Yeah. Take me to church, baby. You did now? We'd call you Dozier Cat. Dozier or Dozer. <laughs> yeah, If Dozer. you play football, Claude Dozer. Yeah. yeah. Dozer. Yeah, the Dozer. The, the Dozer. Dozer. And Ooh. then, like, we'd call you Doge. Doge. Dozer. Doge. 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 Dogecoin. I'm going to change my name. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm changing my last name. All of us are last name Dozier. I'm changing my last name to Reptile. Reptile? reptile? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. Mr. Reptile. <laughs> Claude Dozier and Ed Orr, and then in the Myers Makes Buggy, journalist John Lowler and his partner, Drino Miller. Hell wow. yeah, dude. dude. Drino's a sick Drino. Drino is 
tight, dude. Drino? Is that short for something? Drinolopili. Drinolopili. The actual run in June of 1967 was longer than any of them expected. Dozier and Orr came in first in 41 hours and 45 minutes. They waited for another 16 hours for the second place team of Ed and Kepik. And then those two teams waited another 10 hours for Lowler and Miller to bounce into town in their dune buggy. Dang. Though they all failed to break a record, Ed was inspired. He decided that there should be a more organized form of off-road racing in Baja. I knew there was a challenge down there, Perman later stated. There was a mysterious growing amongst the off-roaders around Baja. (coughs) (laughs) I was determined to do something about organizing it into a race of some kind. (laughs) God. (laughs) Alongside friend and motor journalist Don Francisco... That's a good name. Yeah. Don Francisco. Yeah, known as Cisco to his colleagues. Of course, yeah. 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 Ed founded the National Off-Road Racing Association, or NORA. Hell yeah. Ed's other friend and fellow auto enthusiast, Pete Condos. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I feel like it's been a long time since we've had epi- like an episode with a bunch of sick Everyone's names like name this. is sick. Yeah, I love it. it. Pete My Con- name sucks. <laughs> Yo, Petey Condos. Petey Condos. <laughs> Yo, is that Cisco over there? Yeah, dude, it's Cisco. Oh, he's with Doge. The Doge is here. Don't let that mofo in the building. Uh, Drino's coming over. Oh, oh, Drino shit. and Banks. Drino's coming? Yeah, he's bringing oh, the Banks. I can't wait. Dude, I don't like to get Drino and Cisco and Doge together. We'll meet up at Papa's a beer later. James Pumphrey? <laughs> yeah, right. That name sucks. That guy's a dork. I like your name. James Reptile. (laughs) James Batshit Reptile. (laughs) Now that's a name that commands respect. All right. Anyway, Petey Condos was the person who came up with the name for the organization as well as half the funds, which which is probably why they let him name it. (laughs) The use of the phrase off-roading is particularly important to emphasize here because it was the first time the phrase was used for what had previously been called four-wheeling. Oh. By using the word off-roading, Nora opened up the organization to dirt bikes, buggies, and cars. Very smart. Mm -hmm. I also like when uh, you take a, a word and make it a verb. Yeah. Like, like adulting. Adulting. I'm adulting. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Except adulting. for that one. <laughs> I love that. I love when people say that. Oh, my God. I just paid my bills. I'm adulting, I'm man. adulting. Yeah. Oh, I'm a cat mom. Uh, Amaze balls. <laughs> That's epic. I'm Gryffindor <laughs> Slytherin rising. <laughs> my spirit animal is. <laughs> my, my What's your Patronus, dude? My Patronus is a thick-ass pit bull. <laughs> <laughs> With this its is, larynx removed, so you can't oh hear God. it bark oh behind no. the door. What? Yeah, so if you, if you kick in my door, <laughs> oh shit! Barks like this. <laughs> also, I didn't do it. It's a magical creature. It happened in. It's a yeah. I mean, it comes out of your wand. Comes out of my wand, dude. You, <laughs> your magical creature is attacking that baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a big sweetie. He's a big sweetie. 
You yes, never cross me. He'll get you. And a crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like if your last name is Reptile, you yeah. should. James Batshit Reptile. <laughs> the newly formed Nora was officially the record keeper for Baja. Records were established by the organization for various categories, and rules were set for future records. The first official race to be sanctioned by Nora was called the Nora Mexican 1000 Rally, which was mapped out by Don Francisco himself. The Cisco Kid. Francisco. Nice map, Cisco. Don Francisco. Uh, he did it in his personal aircraft. Hell yeah. Of course, of course he has course. a personal aircraft. Yeah. With the course set, the first Mexican 1000 was ready to begin. On October 31st, Halloween, All Hallows Eve, 1967, 68 vehicles from four different vehicle classes, stock cars, dune buggies, four-wheel drive vehicles, and, of course, motorcycles. They did stock cars? Not like oval track cars, but like A cars, stock car. But like a stock car. Yeah, I know. It's, that's still crazy to me. Yeah. Well, well, people run like Volkswagen Beetles now. Yeah. I think you should that check would it out. I there. talk about it in Forza Baja Five Bugs. Horizons. Yeah. I saw a lot of them when I was down there checking out but the These were even hole. before Baja Bugs. They ran stock Volkswagen Beetles. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. You should you should play Forza Horizons Five. I talk about it. Oh, nice! In the yeah. donut game, the DLC. Yeah, the Donut Media DLC pack. It's free, free update. Yeah. So these sixty-eight vehicles raced out of Tijuana and down the Baja Peninsula, eight hundred and forty-nine miles, all the way to La Paz. After twenty-seven hours and thirty-eight minutes. Vic Wilson and Ted Mangles crossed the finish line in their Myers Manx buggy setting a new world record and winning the first ever Mexican 1000. Hell yeah. I mean, it's like records don't really make sense if it changes every year, right? Well, I mean, eventually it's going to it probably plateaus eventually. Well, no, right? he's saying this was like 100 miles less than oh. the previous one. Yeah. The previous one's yeah, like nine. Yeah, that doesn't matter. Yeah. It's all about the fact that they did it. And it, they set the record for having most fun. That's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. They were riffing. <laughs> the, Mexican, the Mexican 1000 returned to the Baja Peninsula annually for the next couple of years, with competitors racing from Ensenada to La Paz, except for the race in 1972 when they, twist, raced from Mexicali to La Paz. And as time went on, the popularity of the race grew. The 1968 event was televised nationally on ABC's Wide World of Sports, which brought recognition of the race to a wider audience. The coverage ended up attracting a wider range of professional, amateur, and even celebrity drivers. I mean, Wide World of Sports was responsible for so for yeah. legitimizing so many forms of motorsport. I feel like it would have been my favorite show if I was alive during that time. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. uh, Daytona 500 yeah. was televised on that. That's Evil how NASCAR. Evil, like most of his yep. stunts. Yep. 1969. Motocross racing. Uh, short course trucks, I think. I think they had that. Golf? Golf. <laughs> Yeah, nobody uh, knew the about the Volkswagen that. Beetle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I think like short course trucks. They did that at the LA Coliseum. That's why it was a sh it was a short course truck, uh, and I think they had that on Wide World of Sports, drag racing, Wide World of Sports, like so many forms of motorsport. Oh, it to ABC. Yeah. So thank ABC. Write them a letter. Say listen. Thank you. Wide World of Sports also had the dude do the. Dive from 172 feet. Have you ever seen that video? Oh, shoot. It's insane. That sounds insane. And he does like three flips. I couldn't do that. I'm no. not built for that. No. I'm too big. Yeah, you're built for 
pain. I started shaking. <laughs> I started shaking when I was climbing down from the roof the other day. I was like, oh, it's a, it's a treacherous ladder. It's scary. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, Nolan just saved you, Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood tough guy and friend of Bud Ekins, Steve McQueen, attempted to race in 1969 with a custom off-road vehicle called the Baja Boot, designed by legendary vehicle designer Vic Hickey. Vic Hickey. <laughs> what impressed Hickey most about McQueen was not his driving, but his stoic, handsome demeanor. Yeah, and his beautiful, beautiful eyes. And his willingness to learn from his mistakes. He had eyes like a Job. Sadly, <laughs> did. Sadly the Baja Boot... Only made it 237 miles, where it was knocked out with a broken transmission. Ah, uh, this thing looks really cool, though. Indy 500 winner Parnelli Jones also Ooh. found himself called to the Baja Peninsula. After Jones turned down an invitation from fellow racer Bill Strop to run in the Mexican 1000, Strop allegedly told friends that, quote, Jones wasn't man enough for off-road racing. Oh, wow. Taking the bait. Jones entered the Mexican 1000 in 1968, where he pushed his vehicle at a top speed until it broke at the 150-mile marker. In 1970, Jones had a special car made that looked like a Bronco, but was made up of specialized racing parts that could handle the rigors and stress he planned on putting it through. He named the vehicle Big Ollie. I've seen this car In before. reference to his Olympia beer sponsorship. It's in the Peterson Automotive Museum That's right. in Los Angeles. Yeah. With his co-driver Strop, Jones won the Mexican 1000 race with a new record time of 14 hours and 59 minutes. It's got a big old funny wing on top. It does. Yeah. They then returned the following year in 1972 and won again with a less impressive but still impressive time of 16 hours and 42 minutes. <laughs> I think I've said this on the show before, but um, I used to uh, crew on a Nostalgia Funny Car team, uh, and the crew chief, Smokey, uh, built half of this big Ollie car. Wow. That's uh, a good little chunk of history yeah, right there. Yeah, and he, when they went down in 1970 uh, to the race, or 71, sorry, Smokey said the most scared time, he, or the, the time he's been the most scared in his life was when he went on a test drive with Parnelli Jones. Oh, God. Uh, before imagine. the event, they were going along this cliff along the coast, Yeah, and Parnelli Jones did not use the brake at all, oh, and was God. just flying down this at like 80 miles an hour, That's going terrifying. around turns. It's uh, like in riding truck, in yeah. uh, Mammoth 1000 with Max Maddox. <laughs> and uh, going through East LA, baby. I, I just want to take a second to appreciate the livery on this. It's sponsored by Olympia Beer. Olympia and Olympia's beer. slogan is, it's the water. I think that's so tight. That's, <laughs> that's so cool. Uh, that's so uh, cool. It's the water like where they that they make it with. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I was like, it's so cool that a beer company just like, yeah, it's like, you don't have to drink water. Just drink this. <laughs> it, it's it's this the is, water now. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our beer is the water it's now. Tight. The Mexican 1000 was so popular that Nora created a new race in 1969, the Baja 500, a 500-mile loop race that started and ended in Ensenada. The inaugural race was won by Baja pioneer Bud Ekins, but surprisingly not on a motorcycle. He won in a four-wheel Baja boot. All in all, things were looking good for Ed Perlman and his Nora organization until the oil crisis of 1973. Not again. We hate that thing. Beginning in October 1973, members of the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, OPEC, launched an oil embargo, raising the price of crude oil nearly 70% overnight. We've talked about this a lot. We made a t-shirt based on it. Um, you can get it at donutmedia.com. 
Out of fear that competitors wouldn't show up for the race, Nora decided to cancel the 1974 Baja and move it to Arizona instead. Baja Governor Milton Castellanos didn't want to give up the popular and lucrative race, so he tried to convince Nora that fuel prices would not go up at the Pemex stations. That didn't work. He revoked Nora's role as the sole sanctioning body for all races in the Baja Peninsula. Whoa. Then he tasked the newly formed Baja Sports Committee, the BSC, with organizing that year's race, renaming it the Baja 1000. However, the BSC quickly realized that putting on a race of this size was a lot harder and more expensive than they thought. That's when the Baja government sought the help of Mickey Thompson. Oh, it's all coming together now. Yep, these guys all used to run into each other at bars and restaurants. Like when we were eating elk at that restaurant last night, yeah. Like Mickey Thompson or Dan Gurney probably would have come up and been like, "Hey, yeah, Cisco, Joe, Cisco James. drops in for a drink, yeah, <laughs> Dozier. Dozier, don't forget Dozier, man. dude, Dozier. I thought they, ba- I thought they banned you from this place. <laughs> yeah, Dozier came in and just took a chunk of elk off of our plate yeah. without it saying anything. Yeah, they let anybody in here, huh? Yeah." <laughs> He, he pees on the floor. <laughs> he goes to the bathroom. goes to the bathroom. He stands next to the urinal and pees on the floor. It's a power move. Power move. It's cool. Doge. Now, besides being an off-road race promoter uh, with his organization SCORE, Southern California Off-Road Enterprises, Mickey was also known for being the first American to go faster than 400 miles per hour on land when his four-engine Pontiac Streamliner named the Challenger Run Reached 406.7 miles per hour at the Bonneville Salt Flats. So, safe to say, Mickey had some street cred. No, he had salt or cred. Or should I say salt cred. Nice, same nice page. Dude, yeah. With the Baja <laughs> government given the SCORE organization exclusive rights to run races on the Baja Peninsula, it came time for Mickey to make some decisions. First, he decided to cancel the 1974 race due to the fuel <laughs> crisis. <laughs> Despite all the backflips they had done to keep it going for that year, the Baja government reluctantly agreed. And then Mickey recruited Sal Fish. <laughs> Hell. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> to, to run Score International and organize the 1975 Baja 1000 race. Sal Fish had kicked <laughs> off his automotive career as a mechanic in his father's garage. And according to his father, he was not a very good one. I would imagine Salfish talks like Watto from Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) He's like just selling junk parts to people Mm -hmm. in the desert. (laughs) God, that really hurts my throat when I do that. (laughs) All right. He wasn't a good mechanic, but he was, however, a good journalist. Salfish. Began traveling the country as publisher of Hot Rod Magazine and first arrived in Baja for the 1968 race. Sal began traveling the country as publisher of Hot Rod Magazine and first arrived in Baja for the 1968 race. At the time, Hot Rod was one of the most influential publications of its kind, and so coverage of the Baja race was a big deal for everyone involved. At first, Sal had just attended the race in an official capacity, but in 1969, he arrived for the Mexican 1000 with co-pilot Bob Wegeland. (laughs) It's not a cool name. Sorry, Bob. We can't win them all. The Weg. No, No, it sucks. It's worse than my name. Bobby Weggs? Yeah. (laughs) 
dork. <laughs> Robert Wegeland. Robbie Wegg. Yeah. Does uh, nothing. No way Sorry, Wegeland. I can't got it. You sound like a dork. I can't got it. Apologize like to any listeners with a last name Wegeland, but not me. Horrible. <laughs> I feel for you. My last name is silly. Pumphrey. Sounds like a a balloon. I don't know. Sounds like a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> a balloon operator. Yeah, this is like my name sounds like a balloon. Pumphrey. <laughs> Uh, they arrived in an MP-sponsored stock Volkswagen Beetle. Um, MP makes Volkswagen parts. They didn't finish, probably because Wegland's name is dorky, uh, <laughs> because they had no experience and no true knowledge of the course. Though they didn't make it far, Sal Fish kept going back to the Baja Peninsula to race year after year. As president of SCORE International, Sal Fish worked to innovate and grow the organization. He got the Baja 1000 covered by national and international television. He organized the class rules by developing the concept of heavy metal and mini metal divisions. Very cute. (laughs) And he created the trophy truck class in 1994 for production vehicles with over 800 horsepower. Thank you, Sal. Thank you, Sal Fish. Thanks, Sal Fish. Thanks, Sal Fish. He even helped make the race safer by pioneering a system of emergency medical response, which is a good idea. Basically, Sal Fish worked his little fins off to make the score <laughs> to make the score Baja 1000 the premier <laughs> desert race it is today. In 2006, Sal was inducted into the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame, the sanctioning group started by Mexican 1000 creator Ed Perlman back in 1967. Dude, this guy ran the Baja 1000 for like. 20 years yeah over 20 years and in 2006 they were like yeah what yeah the i hell? guess you'd be in the hall of fame <laughs> like if south fish isn't in the hall of fame who is you know mickey I mean? thompson probably mickey thompson's in also there. this dude ed perlman started the hall of fame literally the year they started the race <laughs> yeah, the, the year that they made up off-roading yeah he's, he's like, like this is gonna be big yeah we're gonna need a hall of fame <laughs> <laughs> and you know what he was right yeah, yeah i'm play your cards right you guys could end up in the Donut Media Hall of Fame. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. all right. Started in 2015. I started in 2015. I'm in it. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Anybody else? You win it every year. Yeah, I'm, I, 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 I induct myself. <laughs> I do it at my house with a bottle of Four Roses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the Hall of Fame. I just want to thank everybody. <laughs> it's just your dog looking at you. <laughs> We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Although the race became safer with Sal's innovations, the Baja 1000 is still known as the most dangerous race in North America for a few reasons, okay? To keep this course both challenging and safe, the course itself changes every year. And because of that, racers are encouraged to pre-run the route to get acclimated to the land and choose the best path. That's where the term pre-runner comes from. If a driver isn't comfortable with the terrain, it could spell disaster for even the best racer. So pre-running is like you t- you don't take your race truck. You take like a truck that's yeah modified. Like a Tacoma. People, like a Tacoma. Sure. Tacoma, Ford Ranger, Ford F-150, what have you. Pre-runners are cool. Pre-runner. Take your time with it. Mark points along the course that might break your shit. Like maybe there's a uh, like a silt pit yeah. that you're, you're unfamiliar with. And Get in the pit. You like... Check it out. Maybe there's a big old rock in there that yeah, can you fuck put up like your a axles and flag shit. there. Yeah, you put something there. Mark it on your map. Don't go in that. So that's Don't a pre-run. Go in that silk pit, guys. So why? 
does Toyota sell a Tacoma pre-runner? That's the name. Yeah. But it's not four-wheel drive. No, pre- yeah, exactly. Well, because trophy trucks aren't four-wheel drive. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Oh, God. With yeah. the schematics. Who are you, selfish? <laughs> 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 um, pre-runner is just a TRD. It has all the parts from a four, like the TRD 4x4, but it's yeah. just two-wheel drive. So it's, you have the suspension upgrades. You have, like, the skid plate. You have other bits, off-roading bits, but it's just two-wheel drive. That's what the pre-runner is. Should be four-wheel. That's all I'm well, saying. Well, then get the TRD 4x4. This you episode of Past Gas is sponsored by Toyota's December to Remember of it. Hey, <laughs> K Jewelers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Toyota. Hey, K Jewelers. <laughs> the Baja Peninsula is largely encompassed by the Baja California Desert, a desolate, rocky wasteland with some of the most unforgiving terrain on Earth, including the dreaded and aforementioned silt. Silt is extremely fine-grained sand with almost no real traction that can trap racers if they don't have enough momentum or blind those following behind in its wake. It's kind of like an onomatopoeia. Like, silt makes the sound like yeah. silt. It's very, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, the name works. You yeah. Know? Not to be outdone, humans offered obstacles too. There are parts of the course where racers need to drive on public roads currently in use uh, by the public, something a racer can never really prepare for. Besides the other drivers, a racer needs to keep their eyes peeled for animals on the road as well as the speed limits on public roads. You don't want to get pulled over by the cops because that can happen. Yeah, then you got to pay them off. One of the most unique hazards in the Baja 1000 are the man-made booby traps. What? Yep, these booby traps are set up by locals in their attempts to make the race even more exciting. <laughs> it's funny as hell. <laughs> <So sick. laughs> <laughs> they can be made of rocks, pits, holes, or ramps with the purpose to create what? a crash or just make a cool ramp. Oh, my God. <laughs> so tight. I love that. Racers will often try. <laughs> a ramp in front of our house. <laughs> Racers will often try to warn other competitors about possible booby traps because in the remote areas of the Baja Peninsula, medical help is often too far away. You might be wondering how this is at all legal, but because the Baja 1000 is so long, it's pretty much impossible for officials and local authorities to control the entirety of it. Yeah, and if you live on a ranch somewhere in the middle of it, you have no say, you know, if yeah. they're driving past for you for two days straight. Yeah, like, so what do you do? You build a ramp. You build a ramp. Build that yeah. ramp, baby. You have a little fun with yeah. it. <laughs> Set up a little photo op. Yeah. The danger of running the Baja 1000 cannot be overstated. As recently as 2013, off-road motorcycle champion Kurt Caselli died after hitting a small animal at high speed. 2016, only six years ago, saw the single deadliest year of the Baja 1000 with three deaths, including an eight-year-old spectator who was struck by a racer's vehicle oh, when it lost cool. control. No. Oh, Joe, of course. There's also an I extreme... I just want to go on record saying that's... <laughs> I don't agree with that that is cool. None of us do. Yeah. Uh, there was also an extremely bizarre case in 2007 when a chase helicopter crashed onto the course, killing those aboard. It turns out that one of those bodies removed from the wreckage was that of Francisco Merardo Leon Hinojosa or El Abulon, the abalone. <laughs> Damn, the abalone crashed. Why did I not hear about this? El Abulon was a lieutenant for Tijuana's Ariano Felix drug cartel and when his body was taken to Ensenada, 50 men armed with assault rifles stormed the morgue and escaped with the body. Oh, my God. It was never seen again. Um, that, 
it's not really pertinent to the race at all, but like that's crazy. Dude, I bet he comes back with a Terminator body. Abalone. Dangers aside, the Baja 1000 has attracted competitors from all walks of life in all types of vehicles. With over 25 categories of cars, trucks, and buggies, as well as 13 classes of motorcycles and ATVs, you can race in vehicles ranging from half a million dollar trophy trucks that uh, are too powerful to be street legal to unmodified pre-1982 Volkswagen Beetles. Since there is no qualification required to enter the race, all you really need is a valid driver's license and the $3,000 entry free. That's it. It's only three grand. Yeah, and you know, like a support team. And I mean, it's a lot more. However, yeah. if you happen to be under 18 years mm. of age, you do need your parents or guardian to sign a waiver. Okay. Okay. It's just like getting your ears pierced. Yeah. Celebrities are one unqualified group of participants who love to run the Baja 1000. The race has been run by celebrities like Chuck Norris. Okay, yeah. James Gardner. Sure. Pat McDreamy Dempsey. Ooh, he is dreamy. And even Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. <laughs> yes, even, even Michael Nesmith from the Monkees. The coolest man ever, Paul Newman, the dressing guy, <laughs> competed twice, once in 1969 and then again in 2004 when he Whoa. was 79 years old. Damn. Damn. The oldest competitor to ever compete in Hell the Baja yeah. 1000. Rocks, dude. Rocks, dude. Grandpa it's, Paul, man. Dude. I, <laughs> he had the Oreo wheels on his buggy? Yeah, it was all made of salad <laughs> dressing. He ran salad dressing instead of oil. <laughs> broke down another noteworthy Baja legend is racer Rod Hall the only person to compete in 50 consecutive Baja 1000s from 1967 to 2017 he ended his career with 25 class wins and is the only racer to win the Baja 1000 overall in a four wheel drive vehicle what? whoa 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 Whoa. Whoa. Uh, now I've seen everything. The Baja 1000 <laughs> is truly an endurance race, and nobody endured it better or more than Rod Hall. Hell yeah, Rod. And that's why he belongs in the Rod Hall of Fame. <laughs> that's a different Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although the racetrack changes every year, the current fastest time is held by Jim Smith in his Ford Trophy truck. He broke the record in 1994, the first year the Trophy Truck class competed in the Baja 1000. Smith completed the 633-mile Mexicali loop in 10 hours and 28 minutes. Jeez. Yeah, but this one is like three over 300 miles shorter than the yeah. first one. Mm. A full third shorter. Fair. I, that's still a good time. Yeah. <laughs> over the entire history of the Baja 1000, four-wheeled vehicles have finished fastest overall 16 times, but two-wheeled vehicles have done it a whopping 38 times. Oh, wow. By the way, since 1997, Honda has won 24 out of the last 25 races in the two wheel wow. and 16 overall. In what a ridge line? <laughs> no, no, no. The motorcycles. Oh yeah, <laughs> the two wheel ridge line. But why are people still drawn to the Baja 1000 after all these years? It isn't really about the prize money. The overall winner takes home forty thousand dollars in a race where some of the vehicles themselves cost upwards of half a million. No. 
The Baja 1000 is about history, tradition, and securing one's place amongst the legends that came before them. In many ways, the Baja 1000 has changed a lot over the years, but it has also stayed true to its origins. It's the ultimate off-road, high-speed endurance race that is equal parts beautiful and dangerous. But it goes deeper than that. From Rod Hall to Ivan Stewart, Ed Perlman to Sal Fish, the Ekins brothers to Bill Robertson Jr., what started as an advertisement for Honda motorcycles changed the world of off-road racing as we know it. And I want to do the Baja 500 sometime. Yeah, it'd be so sick. Be I don't want to. I don't need to go a thousand miles, but no, I'd love I to do 500. Taste, yeah, a tasty taste. And I think it's so cool that Honda had their hands in so many fun things in like the 60s oh, and yeah. 70s. That's what you got to do when you're a little fledgling business trying to take over a new market. You got to yeah. take some risks. It's true. Baby, that's called business. That's the most like obvious thing I've ever said on the show. Anyway, uh, that was a great story. <laughs> we got some fan mail this week. This one is from Cody. Love the show. Been listening for a while. Love the cars, and I love history, and this show is a great combination of both. I think my favorite episode so far, aside from the most recent about the automakers in World War II, would probably be the Hot Wheels versus Matchbox episode. I like that episode. one, too. That's a mm-hmm. good one. No one's sick. One thing that's kind of bothered me, though, is James's mention of who's on the dime, which has been said a couple of times in past episodes. Since 1946, FDR has been on the U.S. dime. Eisenhower was on a $1 coin from 1971 to 78. Parentheses, I have one in my collection. Oh, you have a collection of money? Yeah. Eisenhower Eisenhower also appeared as part of the Presidential Gold Dollar Series starting in 2007. His was minted in 2015. Keep up the great work. And Mo Power Baby, Cody. Thank you, Cody. Indeed. Thank you, Cody. For Um, the correction. I'm going to Google. Let me put the mic to my computer right now. Who is on the dime? Dwight Eisenhower. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for your fan mail, Cody. Thank you for the uh, uh, correction and the clarification. Keep collecting those coins, man. And keep collecting that coin. You know what I mean? Get that money, baby. Get that coin, the Isn't it funny that... Collecting money costs money when you could collect money for yourself. What did you? What is? Yeah, what, the, is, that what is that? You're spending money on coins when you. Sh- the real collection of money is the money it's in your bank. Friends, you have. Yeah, that's right. Okay, company. if you'd like to hit us up, pass at donutmedia.com. Hit us up. Real shit, real spit. Uh, follow Joe at Joe G Weber. Follow James at James Pumphrey. Um, but soon, soon, I will be at James that shit reptile <laughs> and follow me at nolan j sykes big thank you to our producers this week christina felsky and gavin kinzel and, and our, our writer, writer this week jeffrey murdoch jeff murdoch he's coming that's to your a house good name. that's jeff a solid Murdoch's name. on his way to your house <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you very much for listening we'll see you next week Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that. 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio.